The Larry H. Miller family of dealerships, driven by a love for Utah, driven by you. Welcome back to Aggie Radio, 92.3 KBLU LP Logan. You just were listening to an hour of the Coaches Show, and now we got some more sports content for you. It's the Aggie Radio Sports Show with me, your host, Jacob Nielsen, with the sports manager of the Utah Statesman, Jacob Ellis. Jacob Ellis, how you doing, my man? Dude, I'm doing well. Um, obviously a tough week, but I, uh, you know, we'll get into it. I'm excited to talk some Aggie sports with you. Um, of course, right here on Aggie Radio. So this is really exciting for us. We have been doing the, the Statesman Sports Desk podcast in a certain variation for several years now with former content manager Dalton Renshaw and Jason Walker, and I've been a part of it, and Parker Ballantyne. And now Jake and I, we're, we're like, let's just take, take this thing on a live air. How about it? So this is our first time live, and so we're really excited. Not the, the greatest of circumstances to, to start a show if we're talking wins and L's for Utah State football. But, you know, we're just uh, we're here to react. We're here to give our hot takes. Both of us, we write lots and lots about the program. We're very dialed in to what's the going-ons and stuff. So we're just uh, we're excited to uh, just shoot the bowl about Aggie sports on live air. Yeah, for sure. And I, I guess let's go ahead and talk about UNLV. I think it might be a little good cop, bad cop here because um, you were telling me that after sleeping on it, you, you feel even worse about the performance. So go ahead and tell me what you thought about <laughs> Saturday's game. Oh, I don't know if I feel worse about the performance. I feel worse about the lack of adjustments and some of just the lack of, uh, I don't know, just it seemed like I was hoping for a little bit of a different variation of the Aggie team coming off the bye week than what we saw. You know, there was so much energy and hype about, hey, we're a, we're a new team, we're turning the chapter. And you definitely saw some of that passion and stuff, but you still saw a team that was so undisciplined, had so many penalties, and then from the coaching staff, specifically on the offense, I just I was not impressed with what I saw. It just seemed like a lot of the similar game plan to what we had seen the, the first three weeks of the season, and obviously it didn't work the first three times, and it didn't work this time. So yes, they moved the ball, they outgained UNLV in yardage, but I was just concerned of they had two full weeks of practice to turn this around, and that was the product that they were able to put together. That was my concern on Saturday. Yeah, no, and I, I can see that that reaction. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play this clip from center Chandler Dolphin on discipline, and we'll kind of see what you think about that. I know you, you couldn't quite get to the, the press conference today, so let's listen to that. Uh, I mean, yeah, fact of the matter is right now I don't think we're a very disciplined football team. Um, and that's something that, that we're going to continue to work on moving forward. Um, I think th- the one thing that Coach Anderson preaches is is right on the edge of out of control, playing with fanatic effort but not being out of control in a way that's going to cost or hurt the team. And, uh, I mean, clearly we didn't do a good job of that last week. So that's a huge focus this upcoming week too is just to be to be disciplined, like I was mentioning earlier, staying in the bounds of the game. Um. And for me personally, I feel like, you know, it's to be able to, to, I guess, minimize those, you know, those penalties, it's just, you have to, you have to lead by example. Um, you have to hold guys accountable when they get out of place or when they're starting to get out, you know, uh, when, they're, when they're not acting within their character or within the character of the team, uh, getting on those guys, telling them, Hey, you know, that's not okay. We can't do that. Um, I think just important to hold everybody accountable. Play. So that was senior offensive lineman, senior center, Chandler Dolphin, Alta High native. He's been in the program for a long time. And I, I think he's one of the more emotionally mature players on the team. I've had a chance to chat with him on a number of occasions. And it's interesting what he's saying. And they brought him on for the Monday morning press conference along with senior safety Hunter Reynolds, who is also one of the leaders. And to hear what Chandler is talking about, it's kind of, it's basic things, right? It's basic leadership things. It's basic discipline things, but it's things we didn't see. There were penalties on Saturday that really, really set the Aggies back. One that I want to mention that may have gotten overlooked was towards the end of the the first half, Utah State, they go down, they get the touchdown, go for it on fourth and five, Terrell Vaughn gets a touchdown, and then they run the trick play and they get the two-point conversion, right? So now they're down just eight going into halftime almost, right, with about three minutes left. And what happens 
during that after that touchdown on the offense. Two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties from the Aggies offense. Two of them. They were already they were down big. They score. They don't celebrate with their team or back to the sidelines. They're jawing UNLV's face. They're making a big fuss about it. And do you know what happened? UNLV got the ball really, really... They got the ball inside the Aggies' offense. Not to mention there was an offsides on the kickoff, so they got it five yards further. So UNLV, with barely any time left in the second half, they get the ball on the Aggies' 48, and then they're able to get a field goal, and all of a sudden they're up 11 going into halftime, and it feels like a big momentum swing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And that, that is one that kind of got buried behind the touchdown, like you said. Um, and And discipline is... You know, has been a problem with uh, the Aggie team. It's it's what going back to what Chandler said. It's that trying to play on the edge, but not going too far to you know be a little too aggressive. And um, they they crossed it a little bit. Um, and we'll see how that turns around because this is a rivalry game, and it can be tough to keep your emotions in check. So we'll talk about more about BYU later, but. Um, I'll, I'll give my impressions from the UNLV game, uh, if you don't mind. Um, I thought, you know, the run defense, uh, you mentioned it, they, they played really well. Um, Hale Motuapuaka, especially defensive tackle, um, he stepped up big for a group that is missing a couple guys, uh, two injuries now. Um, and he set career highs with two and a half tackles for loss, had a sack, uh, maybe two sacks actually, and... Just overall a really nice game, and right now you, you may not realize it, but I heard, I believe it was on the coaches show, they said that USU is in the top 10 in the nation in tackles for loss again like they were last season. So it's getting back to that original defense um, that won the Mountain West last season. Um, I also thought the secondary did a good enough job uh, to keep us in this game. I know some things got away towards the end and stuff, but... I think overall the defense played where they needed to, especially with the amount of short fieldage, like you said, that they uh, had to deal with. Um, they were able to keep UNLV from converting on on some some tricky ones, forcing them to a field goal, and then uh, you know of course when when your punter accidentally kneels it down and they get it inside the ten, you know what are you going to do there? No, I mean, something that's maybe a little bit overlooked is the defense has played pretty well in stretches so far this season, and I thought they looked really, really good against UNLV for the most part, minus some big chunk plays that Brumfield was able to get with his arm. And Doug Brumfield, just side note, awesome quarterback. UNLV's got an awesome, awesome thing going. I, uh, I'm excited for the Rebs because it's, that's, it's not a winning program, but it kind of feels like it's a little bit of a goldmine, right? Because they're down there in Vegas, brand new stadium, close to SoCal so you can get these recruits and stuff. And it seems like this year maybe is the first year that they're really getting it together. This is their first 3 and one start since 2008. So just shout out to the Rebels. That can't be overlooked that this wasn't an FCS team that came in. This wasn't UConn that came in. This was a team that's going to compete in the Pacific Division of the Mountain West. And so kudos to UNLV there. The one thing, though, about the defense and what you mentioned, Jake, is their rush defense was absolutely phenomenal. And keep this in mind. They got Holly back for the first time since he, he missed the Weber State game. He was banged up. They got Pukesi back. Pukesi Bakuata, he was out for the Weber State game. He was back. They lost Seni Tuiaki, redshirt freshman defensive tackle, in the second quarter. He's out for the season with an ankle injury. And then they also lost, last week, Phil Paye, defensive tackle. He's out for the season with an ACL. So you have two guys out for the season, and then you have two guys that have been beat up, and that there's no way they're playing full 100%, and they are anchoring this thing down. And then you got guys like Tavion Coleman coming in, some of these youngsters that are really... Bo Miley. Bo Miley, the the nephew of Frank Miley, right? And so just really, really impressive performance. They held UNLV to... 103 rushing yards on 42 attempts. Yeah. I'm no math major, <laughs> but that's between two and three <laughs> average of yards per attempts. And this is a UNLV team that we were afraid going into it. We said last week, their running game might gash the Aggies, and they shut that thing down. And so part of that was they were really, really low in the box, and I think that also affected the secondary because they were, I don't know, I want to say they were selling out on the run, but they were throwing bodies into the mix of it, and I think that was their best their best plan, right, to really make Brumfield 
beat Utah State with their arms. And for the most part, they did their job. It just, to your point, the offense and interception sets up UNLV in field goal range. The poor penalties, Stephen Costanley, his knees down on the punt attempt, and that is a gimme touchdown, right? There were, there were 10 points that can easily be attributed to the offense or to special teams, not to Utah State's defense itself. And if those things will happen, this is a different game. So that's the defense is beat up, right? But for them to play as well as they did beat up, that is, uh, that is probably the biggest benefit. We were mentioning earlier, I was a little bit down, more down maybe on coaching adjustments in the offense, but the defense looked really, really good despite not being at full strength. And they're not going to be at full strength for the rest of the year. So, Yeah. Well, and just adding into that, to the UNLV being limited to just 103, that's a team that ran 300 yards last last week, the week before against uh, North Texas. Um, so it, you know, they but, had I mean, the Green power. <laughs> you were almost a commit there, right? I I got a PWO, PWO. to run cross country at the University of North Texas. <laughs> so I, you know, big time, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Out at Denton, Texas, classic commuter school in DFW. They got decent football programs because they have all that talent. I think they recently switched to the Sun Belt from the USA. Aggies played them a few years back with Jordan Love in that bowl game, the, the, the New Mexico Bowl. Side note over. But, yeah, UNLV, to your point, they just shredded UNT on the ground, in the air, and then Utah State was able to uh, kind of turn the tide a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Jake, I want to ask you about something regarding the game. I pull it to the press box. And, you know, I'm getting in there. I get I get my pasta. I get my Dr. Pepper. And I sit down up in the press box right before the UNLV game. And to my left, my man Jake Ellis, he's nowhere to be seen. Where were you, Jake Ellis? I, I was to the right. I was in the national broadcast booth uh, helping out Chris Lewis and our guy Robert Turbin Turbo uh, calling Turbo? the game on CBS Sports Network, actually. So tell me a little bit about how that was uh, able to come to fruition. You're able to have that opportunity. Yeah, so... I'm a journalism major here at USU, right? Um, my professor reached out to me, Brian Champagne. Shout out to him. Um, he contributes for Fox 13 and a lot of other Salt Lake stations. So I'm sure you've seen his work. You just may not know who he is. But he connected me with uh, the, this guy that was working to hire a crew for CBS. And um, I got called in there to help with some stats and some spotting. Did more stats. Um, and if you're not familiar with those... Uh, we're trying to look up the little trinkets of information they can throw in there about players. Um, you know, they'll know things like the hometown or, like, that's their third touchdown of the year, but they may not know that's the first time UNLV has intercepted a quarterback five times in one game since 1992, which I was able to find out. That's a, a grim note there, but that was a, one I was proud that I was able to find. But anyway, that, and then spotting, helping – Helping the play-by-play guy uh, find out who made the tackle. It's usually pretty easy. I call games. It's usually easy to figure out who um, is on offense, but when you, you are, you know, you're focusing on that so much and the yardage and things like that, you can miss who made the tackle. So you have that spotter that helping you out. Nice. All right. This is the Aggie Radio Sports Show on Aggie Radio 92.3 KBLU LP Logan. I'm Jacob Nielsen. With me, the sports content manager of the Utah Statesman, Jacob Ellis. He was just telling us about how he got to be in the broadcast booth during the UNLV game on Saturday. I had the opportunity, I do some freelance writing for KSL.com, and I had an opportunity to interview Robert Turbin for a story leading up to the game. And I'm really impressed with him. We got to hear him in back in April. Was that April or May when they had the, the Hall of Fame uh, ceremony? I think that was... I thought that was before the Mountain West Championship in basketball. Oh, it could have been. I mean, my, my I think it was blurry. March. It might have been March or April, but I, whenever it like was, that. we had we had the Hall of Fame ceremony. J.C. Carroll, Bobby Wagner, Ty Wesley, and then Robert Turbin. And Robert Turbin came back to campus. And of of all those people, J.C. Carroll, he, he lives here in the Valley. Ty Wesley, he's very involved with things and. Obviously, Bobby Wagner still having an amazing career, but Robert Turbin's really interesting because he's done an awesome job staying with his Aggies' roots. Even He's not a native. He's from California. But since his, gradu- his uh, retirement from the NFL in 2019, we've seen and heard a lot of him. He's active about Utah State on social media and stuff. And so he's been jumping into the broadcast world. And so it's cool to talk to him. He was thrilled to be back at Utah State. He told me I, he'd never seen a game from the press box. He'd always been on the field or in the stands elsewhere, right? And so I, it was really cool to have one of Utah State's own calling that game. For him, he probably would have liked to have been able to 
Colin Aggie's victory. <laughs> yeah. But you get what you get. And it's it's really cool to see Aggie's alumni out there in public, well known names. Obviously he was a fan favorite in Seattle and such. Yeah. Playing football and now he's uh he's in the broadcast booth, so it's pretty cool. Well, and he's just such a great dude. I mean, there are players, um, you know, that look great in front of the camera. There are players that are quiet about things, you know. There you know, there's players are people, right? So there's a lot of difference, but Robert, he's the, you know, that's how he introduced himself to me. Down to earth guy, really humble. That was just his second broadcast uh football. Um and he sounded great. Like he he uh, you know, it like for his second show, his second broadcast ever, like I you know, it was great. Uh he had some some really good insight, I thought. Um but no, that main thing to me is just him reaching out, he took a selfie with me at the end of the game. Like, he's just a really nice guy, great Aggie, like you said, true to his roots, and uh, we're glad to have that kind of alumni at Utah State. Yeah, so cool experience for Jake and also for me to be able to talk to him. I Much cooler to be in the booth in person. You got a photo with him. I had a phone conversation with him, and I, not quite as cool, but still uh, great for us to have an opportunity to interact with him. And, yeah, just uh, just bummer of a game on Saturday against UNLV. Quick special shout-out to our, our bearded friend, John Zaray, one of our favorite listeners. Uh, we appreciate your support, and uh, that's all i got to say about that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, switch the gears before we preview um, this upcoming game on Thursday night. Um, you told me you wanted to talk about some USU volleyball, so... Uh, this week, the Aggies went 1-1, one 3-2 and one, three and two over Air Force in the first conference game, and then they dropped one to New Mexico before the football game. I believe that one was 0-3. to three. They got swept. Yeah, so broadcast man Jake Ellis, he has the expertise because he's called some of these games. But I, uh, I was able to cover the, the Air Force game, and it was the opening conference game, right? And Utah State in the non-conference, they have had some big wins. They've played really, really well at home, beat UCLA, who was nationally ranked at home, beat Cal Poly and just they went up to Oregon and they beat Oregon State right so they've had some really nice wins and they come into this game against Air Force and Air Force went 8-4 in non-conference they were they were a good volleyball team but they were towards the bottom in the preseason rankings for the Mount West and the Falcons really took it to them I thought they played really similar to how Aggies women's volleyball plays just they're not going to overpower you with their spikes and stuff but they're just really really scrappy and are going to make you earn everything. Yeah, they they run the same rotation. I don't you know, obviously I don't know how much you know about volleyball. I'd know I don't know very much either, but it, my good friend Adam Larson who does color for volleyball, he played on the club team here. Um he uh he was saying they run that same 6-2 um and they you just need playmakers in the middle blocker and for you know, for us that that can be uh Kennedy Boyd, things like that and for for Air Force it was it was Joy, um, and I am slipping her last name, but that she really kept the Falcons in the game. But go go ahead. Yeah, so one thing that's crazy about volleyball that I didn't really know, and I actually I played junior high volleyball, so I should have known this, but I think I was just like in my own little bubble and just, I don't know, I just was uh, just enjoying myself. And so one thing I didn't know is with the rotations, there's lines that you can't cross when you're on the backside, right? Yeah. And so I'm like a, a grown man that I'm just barely learning this. This is the first volleyball gamer I've covered. I like to say I'm pretty fluent with sports, but – Maybe not with volleyball, but Air Force had a girl, and we don't remember her name, but she led the Mountain West going into that game in blocks and also in spikes. But here's the thing. she When she wasn't on the front line, she wasn't in the game, right? Because she's not useful in the back, right? So 50% of the time on Thursday night, Air Force felt like a juggernaut because she was out there. The other 50%, they just seemed like, another team right and so that was kind of a crazy thing almost like baseball where your best hitters only get to go up four to five times a game your best volleyball player you can only utilize half the time and so I that's never really something that I thought about and it was really crazy but uh anyways Utah State they were down 0-2 right going into the third set they are trailing in the third set 24 to 23 right they lose one point it's game over I was checking my phone it was nice and early I was gonna write my story get my easy mac and cheese, call it a night, you know? Yeah. And then guess what happens? The Aggies turn it around. I mean, what's the, the nickname for the Estes Center that they're Club throwing out? Estes. Club Estes. Yeah. Club Estes. It went from Sweep City in the conference opener to Club Estes breaking down in full form. The Aggies won the third set, dominated the fourth set, and then 
not that I've seen a lot of volleyball, but that fifth set, Jake, it's got to be one of the crazier fifth sets that we've seen from Utah State. Yeah, no, it was really back and forth. Um, and Joy Harvey, I, I've looked it up. She's the middle blocker, a junior from Goodyear, Arizona, that um, you might want to watch out for <laughs> if you're playing in the Mountain West. But anyway, um, yeah, that fifth set, back and forth, went went to, to extra points there. Obviously, you only go for 15 in the fifth set. Um, and the Aggies, uh, they were able to stave off elimination a couple times there where um, you know Air Force was on match point and they were able to, to come back and then of course USU had one match point maybe even two that they they had and they just needed one more point and Air Force battled back and it it just went longer um, it was a really fun environment at the Estes Center like you said and uh, USU able to pull it off there and that was on Thursday night uh, last week. Jake Ellis you said that Harvey the great player for Air Force she was from Goodyear Arizona I have a trivia question for you about Goodyear, Arizona. Sure. There was a, a spring training ballpark in Goodyear. There are two teams that play there. They are both from the same state. Can you tell me who those two teams are? From the same state. The same state, two MLB teams. They call the ballpark in Goodyear, Arizona their home during spring training. What division? Uh, what, well, one's National okay, League fair. and one's American League. Okay, that helps a little bit. Mm-hmm. Same, Same state. state. Are, they the only, are they the only teams in that state? I that I, I can't help you out that much, you know. you got to use some of your own brain power here. Huh. Goodyear, Arizona, on the west of the valley, as they call it, down in Phoenix. You give up? Let's just throw out a guess. Hmm. From the same state. Because I know, I know it's not the Cubs because um, they're not in Goodyear, I believe. Unless they're in the, no, you're right. They're in Scottsdale. Yeah, okay. Um no, it's not the Angels. I'm an Angels fan. They play at Tempe Diable in Tempe. And they low-key got the cool stadium. No, no that's dumb, isn't it? I, but there's a, have you been, have you been <laughs> down there? There's some history, though, yeah. There's a, there's a little mountain yeah, in yeah, the background yeah. there in yeah. Tempe. At Camelback Ranch, I want to say? Or is that yeah. where the Dodgers are? I don't know. I, I don't know. I just heard that it is like it needs a renovation. Oh, sure. Uh, it, yeah. it, but it's cool. you got Red Rock there. I've okay. been to a game there. Cool place. Nice. Uh, hmm. Same state. I don't think it's the California teams because I'm pretty sure one of the other ones plays down in Tucson with the Rockies. Um, so I don't think we have two California teams unless that's wrong. Imagine being stuck in Tucson for spring training. Yeah. All, <laughs> I, I imagine that spring training for the MLB has got to be this amazing thing. Where Why is this? I don't know how we got on this tangent, but yeah. spring training in Phoenix has got to be amazing because all your former teammates and people you came up with in the minor leagues, you're all just hanging out going out, going golfing on off days. If you're the Rockies or the Giants, I believe, who's also in Tucson, you're driving two hours south or two hours north to, to get anywhere. That would be really lame. Yeah. But sounds like you got nothing. <laughs> the answer to the trivia question of the two teams playing in Goodyear is the Reds, the Cincinnati Reds, and the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, so. I wouldn't have known that one. <laughs> yeah, well, now, now you know. You can, you can you, talk wait, about wait, wait. Did you say Cleveland Indians? You mean Guardians. Oh, excuse me. You mean the Guardians? Oh, excuse me. There. That's right. That that was a that was a major slip up on my part. Well, should we get back on to Aggie sports? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we probably should. Okay. Huh? Awesome. So, let's go ahead and uh, play this clip from Chandler Dolphin. Um, he just the guy that I thought had some really nice quotes today, and you just heard an hour of Blake Anderson. So I think uh, yeah, Chandler Dolphin will say it best here on the short week they have coming up this Thursday. Hold on, give me one second. Now, wait, one more thing about about the volleyball. Um, when we were watching that Air Force game, I was sitting. J- Jake Ellis, he was on the broadcast, and I was sitting behind him. And during one of the timeouts, I came over. I was watching. I when in doubt, I'm just going to talk baseball, right? And so we got Aaron Judge. He's going for his what is it? His 62nd home run to get the American League single season record, right? So he's at 61. This is a Thursday night. It's the opening series of the Red Sox and the Yankees, right? And it's a tied game, bottom of the ninth, 4-4. Four to four. Aaron Judge goes to the plate. And I'm like, this is a moment of history. And so I, I showed it in front of Jake Ellis, and Jake Ellis thought that I was showing him a highlight. This baby was live. This was my MLB TV app. I was making the most of it. We're watching it courtside of the volleyball game. And we watch Aaron Judge hammer a ball. Just, I mean, he launched that thing. And the Fox, Fox Sports or whoever was, was showing the game, they fooled us all, right? Because they that camera angle went way up high, and we thought that thing was like 
I thought that thing was going into Queens and or to Yonkers or something. Like <laughs> that was not only leaving the ballpark, that was leaving the borough, right? And it lands on the warning track, and the Red Sox catch it. Yeah, ultimate anticlimactic live sports thing. <laughs> and he still, as far as right now, he still hasn't gotten the record yet. Yeah. So that's something to keep an that, eye out that's, for. That's uh, something uh, Anderson was actually talking about, and he he did compliment uh, uh, Pujols hitting his 700th home run the other night. Last baseball trivia question, and then we will move back <laughs> on. Albert Pujols, when he hit that home run, mm-hmm. who was the first person that he high-fived? when he touched home plate. It wasn't one of his teammates. It was a former baseball player. A former baseball player. A fellow a fellow Dominican. Well, Yachty still plays, right? Yeah, he does. So it's not Yachty. Um, it was former Los Angeles Dodger and former Texas Ranger Adrian Beltre. Really? Who is sitting front row behind behind the catcher just perfect seats albert Pujols when he gets it he doesn't i don't know if his family was there maybe they weren't because it was a road game he didn't run to them he didn't run to yachty he didn't run to matt carpenter he ran to adrian beltre former texas ranger legend and so i thought i thought that was pretty cool that's awesome so but yeah let's get back okay. chandler dolphin <laughs> yeah let's I hear think, what he I has think i got him here let's see not a lot of time to dwell on saturday uh, we're gonna flush it move on look forward to this week we got a huge challenge this week uh byu is a phenomenal um, really is not a weak spot on their team. Um, a lot of great players. Uh, it appears we don't have Chandler Dolphin, so we're going to go ahead and I'll surmise what he said. Sorry about that. This is our second week. We'll we'll get it we'll get it going together. Um, but he's just saying, yeah, they don't have a lot of time to move on. It's a short week. You can't dwell on Saturday's loss. Um, and he he knows a lot of BYU Cougars. He went to Alto with a couple. He. Um, you know, just met others through training, things like that, and uh, so it's it's a it's a good one. He's excited to play in this rivalry game, and you know he he said BYU is a great team. They're not weak in a lot of areas, and so let's go ahead and jump to our BYU preview. Well, I mean, this is the first thing about this game is the fact that, and Blake Anderson mentioned this this morning. It's this might be the last time Utah State has the chance to play BYU for the foreseeable future, right? Because BYU going to the Big 12 next year, they canceled all future games that they had contracted with Utah State, and obviously they had that clause that they could get out of it. No no punishment, right? And so this is, in that sense, this is a very big one because this is the last chance to try to get the wagon wheel back, and obviously there's a lot, a lot of pride with that. Uh, one thing, side note off of that, I think is interesting is Todd Homel on Saturday said they are making the return trip to Laramie against Wyoming in 2023. He was adamant about that. Yeah, he said this is a game that needs to be played. So Mr. Homel, I think he's a decent athletic director down there in P-Town and stuff. But my question to you is the Boise State game, the Utah State game, you cancel those, but a game that you haven't played since 2010 that is Wyoming's a butt of many jokes for BYU fans. That's the game that you're going to make the return trip to if you're going to play a G5 team in the Big 12. You're going to go to Laramie. You're not going to go to Boise or Logan. I thought that was a little bit uh, maybe hypocritical isn't the right word, but when he was talking about how he valued the Utah State Series, valued the Boise State Series, and then canceled both of them, yeah, he's going back to Laramie. That that just made me raise a little bit of an eyebrow there. Yeah, and I'll, I'm, I'm equally frustrated. I, don't, I won't get it wrong. I just play a little bit of devil's advocate and say that um, the Wyoming games just one return trip, and that I believe it's later. Is it 2023 or is it? Oh, it could be later. Yeah, I don't know. It might be, um, but regardless, it is just one game as opposed to the Boise and Utah State series that were longer. Um, inexcusable, in my opinion. I, you got to play your rival. I, um, it's something that they complained about long and hard until Utah finally played them, and then even then we're still complaining when Utah decided to go down to the swamp this season instead of Provo or, you know, instead of inviting them up to Salt Lake, whatever. Um, and then you just pull the same thing as soon as you get into the conference. Uh, so it, it is hypocritical. I will come out and say it's hypocritical. You, you didn't say it, but I it is. Um, and it's frustrating. It's a fun game. And we're not playing it in basketball this year either. So I just hope that that changes in the future. But we got to make this last one count. Yeah, and I mean, this is going to be a tough year, right? Because BYU is a nationally ranked team. We just we were 
thinking that there was a chance that they'd have a lot of guys out because there were a lot of injuries against Wyoming. But we saw today it sounds like one of their stud linebackers, Max Tooley, is going to be back. Gunnar Romney, their best returning receiver from last year, not named Puka Nakua. He is back after, a, what did they say, it was a lacerated kidney? Yeah. That so sounds like an awful, awful injury. Officially, it was a fall camp injury, right? And then we're doing a little bit of work. We The D News has called it a kidney issue. And then through Twitter, I've heard it called a lacerated kidney. Yeah, that. so that's that's what it is. But he's back. So just yet another weapon for the Cougars. So, I mean, that there's no there's no cutting corners. Like, it's this is a really good BYU team, as hard as that is for some people to admit, right? And so far, Utah State, it's not looking very good. And so you'd hope that for the last game that they play, it seems like based off of the prior results this season, you'd hope that maybe it'd be a more evenly matched game. But let me tell you something about Utah State is they always seem to beat the Cougars in years that you wouldn't expect, right? And this is really something that has started happening. The first time that Utah State beat BYU in the modern era was in 2010, right? And that was, uh, I, I believe that was BYU's last year in the Mountain West Conference. And Gary was just kind of getting the program on the rise. You know, Robert Turbin was the running back, but not even Chucky Keaton was there or anything. And they beat him at home in 2010, right? And that was really the first big win of the Gary Anderson era. And it was fitting because the 2010s are arguably the greatest decade in Utah State football history. And it opened 2010, a win against BYU, and then they've beaten them a couple of other times throughout the decade. What what was the year that, that they beat undefeated 4-0 BYU and Taysom Hill? What year would that have been? Yeah, looking at BYU game notes, it's uh, 2014, Utah State 35 over number 18, BYU 20. And then, of course, the Aggies won back-to-back in... 17 and 18, 40 to 24, and 45 to 20, respectively. So here's the thing is when you look at it, some of the best Aggie seasons, 2011, they went 7 and 6. They barely lost that year to the Cougars. 2012, personally, the 2012 team, I think, is the greatest team in Utah State history. They did not beat BYU that year or the 2013 team, right? And so you look at the 2014 team, that wasn't a great season, but they went down to Provo, and uh, they really put it on them, right? And so there there have been crazy events, crazy things that have happened in this series, even when Utah State isn't playing their best football, per se. Uh, that 2014 year, BYU was 4-0, and and Taysom Hill was in the Heisman conversation. And obviously, unfortunately, Taysom broke his, uh, his leg that game, but Utah State just absolutely blew him out of the water. And so something that we've mentioned before, um, going into the last game, last year's game against BYU was, it seems like the turnover battle is always really, really important. And whoever wins the turnover battle has the advantage in this game. And I think that leans more so on the Utah State side. It's something that they need to do, right? They need to force these turnovers. But if they can, uh, if they can get BYU a little unsettled and stuff, then it can really change the dynamics. That's what we saw in the 2018 game, excuse me, the 2017 game, when BYU opened up, they were up 21-7. And then Utah State had two pick sixes, and they just totally took it to them. Yeah. Um, I will just say that um, those down teams that did lose, or did beat BYU, even in their down year, they hadn't lost to an FCS team. So, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and I want to be an optimist about this too. I just also don't want to have us sounding like fools, um, you know, if the scoreline ends up something like 52 to nothing or whatever it may wow, be. Wow. I hope it's not. I really do. I genuinely hope it's not. Um, and that's a little bit of homerism, but hey, I'm on the campus paper, so come after me if you want to. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's um, talk a little bit more about turnovers. Uh, obviously, Logan Bonner having six himself uh, against UNLV, um, and that's been the question all year is, uh, you know, is Logan Bonner going to return to Mountain West Championship winning form? Um, but even beyond that. So what do you think uh, offensively, how can USU prevent some turnovers? Well, here's here's the thing. Um, the way that Utah State football is playing this season is they seem like a very one-dimensional offense. And what I mean by that is 
they're not making defenses guess. They're not really challenging defenses. They're trying to run the ball, but there's not a ton of variation in the runs. There's not a lot of screen passes or bootlegs. That's something they did in fall camp a lot was they used Calvin Tyler Jr. They were throwing him the ball, right, on screen routes and stuff. And we haven't really seen that this season. It's either a run up the middle right behind Chandler Dolphin or it's just a classic classic throw, right? And it's not really working, right? Because what happened, what we saw against UNLV was, yes, Logan Bonner actually had a lot of time to throw the ball. He Credit to the offensive line. They made a pocket for him. But part of that was UNLV mostly game, and they, they were only rushing four people, right? They were dropping back seven guys into coverage because they knew that they could stop the run with just four to five guys in the box. And then they also knew that the way – Utah State's passing and their roots were going and the the receivers, their struggle to create separation this season, they knew that they could expose that, take advantage of that. And so for Logan Bonner, something that Anderson is defending him about, defended him after the game Saturday, defended him on Monday morning, is hey, like, he's forcing it in there, but that's those are the best plays that he has. And so in Logan Bonner's defense... That is uh, not entirely his fault. Some of those plays, some of those throws that he made, if you go back and watch tape, I don't know how many better options there'd be besides throwing it out of the sideline. And when you're behind and you're such an emotional game, right? Like he's, Bonner wants to do, it was his birthday, all this talk, right? He's going to want to do everything he can. And so he was trying to do that. Now I will say one thing. When it's not working, when something's not working, this isn't a football thing, this is just a life thing. You're foolish to do the same thing twice, right? What you have to do is you got to switch it up. You got to add a different variable. And what would be, Jake, what would be a different variable that the Utah offense could have that would open up the field a little bit more, keep the defenses guessing, and maybe help move the ball more consistently? What, what do you think I'm thinking? I'm not sure what you're thinking particularly. I got two things coming to mind. The first is something Turbo said during the broadcast, um, if you watched it on home, at home on TV. Um, he mentioned how the receiver is always spreading out so far on the sideline really limits where Logan Bonner can pass. Uh, you know, They can do out routes, but they're very, very tough and tight windows. Um, and he wanted to see some different formations uh, from the Utah State offense. And then... Uh, my other thing is some more Robert Briggs, uh, freshman running back, um, showing that he has a different change of pace in the running game. And, um, you know, just trying to establish that a little bit more. Uh, Wyoming ran really well against BYU for a little bit. Uh, the Cougars locked it down. They figured it out eventually, but it gave Peasley enough time to figure some things out. Um, what, what are you thinking that Utah State should do? So to your point, the second thing you said with Robert Briggs, I agree. That's something that Anderson has, has said that he would like to see more Robert Briggs, but it's not something that we're seeing. We're not seeing him get as many touches as we're expecting. And one of the things for that, I believe, is when we're talking about uh, blocking defense, Calvin Tyler Jr., he is a really good pass blocker in the backfield, and that's something that Robert Briggs is a little bit shorter, a little bit less experienced, right? And so he doesn't quite have, and so when you need to be in passing situations, it's more advantageous to have Calvin Tyler. But I agree with you, Robert Briggs, he's a little ball of magic and fun every time he touches the ball, right? It's so much fun (laughs) to watch that dude go to work. And I love Calvin Tyler Jr. too, and he's got to get plenty of carries, but absolutely up the ante for Briggs. And then what Turbin said is absolutely true. When you got your biggest guy, Justin McGriff, who actually can catch contested footballs this year. This is the best he's ever looked in a lot of in a lot of regards. But you're on the right hash mark and you send him way over to the other sideline. It's tricky for that to develop and for him to get an opening. So I am not an offensive guru, so I can't I'm not gonna say right now here are the formations that need to be done, but something's gotta change. And that goes back to my first point at the beginning of the show. We two weeks of practice and working on it and we saw the same formations we saw against Weber State. And that was disconcerting to me. Now, what I was going to say, and this isn't this isn't me saying this needs to happen. I'm saying this is something that I think could help the Utah State offense. Another variable you could add is another dynamic athlete that can help move the ball. And that would be Cooper Legoff. What an original idea. At quarterback. <laughs> at what a, I'm the first person to think about this. <laughs> I, Logan's the leader of the team. He still has a great arm, a great talent. 
that they might ride or die with him, honestly. But just think about Lega. Great passer as well. Maybe not quite as consistent and accurate as Bonner, but he also doesn't have very many game reps, so we can't even say that for certain. But the dude can move the ball with his feet. And so what's happening, what happened in the ULV game, is when they don't have to load the box at all, they're dropping guys back in coverage, and they're really making Bonner just fit into these little windows. If you got Lega out there, he's got time to scramble, move around, get some plays with his feet, and that keeps the defense honest. Keeps them honest, right? Yeah. So going into the BYU game, if you want to throw everything you got at the Cougars, why don't put Lega in? Well, I mean, do they do the Aggies really think they can keep doing what they're doing and beat BYU on Thursday? They can't. And that's my biggest concern is after two weeks of practice, it seemed like they did the same thing. And it worked in some ways. The offense is a little bit better. Vaughner had three touchdown passes. We saw what Vaughn could do. Cobbs had a 45-yard catch. McGriff had a post route that went for 40. But against the Cougars' defense, those dudes are physical. They get after it. And Tuiaki, their defensive coordinator, his, his whole classic thing that he's won big games with, they beat USC doing this back in 2019, is that the rush three drop back eight, right? And I think that would doom Bonner, right? Because yeah. he's – that this isn't a knock on Bonner. This is just the reality. He's a – pro style quarterback he's gonna scramble maybe three yards if he really needs to but what you got with Lega is a decent passer and somebody that can burn a defense if they're dropping people back if they're giving him windows at the line of scrimmage to run and I think that that might be the best chance to really keep BYU's defense on their heels yeah uh and I I can see that um Bo Nix uh is a name that haunts BYU fans at this moment. Uh, he was the Oregon quarterback who uh, transferred from Auburn and just pulling him up. And he ran really well against BYU. I'm going to pull up that those stats and give you some more specifics on it. But that he, he just was that dual threat. He was able to run it, and they have a great running back there too. And so when you have that, that mobile quarterback, you can't drop eight like you're saying. You have to be more honest, and it opened up some some receiving leverage. It led to some really big plays for Oregon. I, I watched a few uh, plays of that, not the whole game. Um, so you know, I'm I'm not sure if that stayed the whole time. But I uh, did you catch any of that game? What did you think? I uh, I did not see the BYU Oregon game, but let me tell you another another dude that was able to have success against the BYU offense that well, isn't named Bo Nix. He has a familiar name in Andrew Peasley. The former Utah State guy who was in the the fight for with Bonner for that job last year helped win the Air, the Air Force game. He came in against BYU and he had a really really great game himself. And he was fourteen and twenty seven passing for one hundred fifty four yards, which on paper is it that's not going to blow you away, right? But he had two touchdowns and he was just another dude. He only had, this actually shocks me, he only had five carries for nine yards. Now, this wasn't a game that I watched because we were working post the UNLV game, but just the fact that he had that ability to do that, that has to open things up. And he's not a great passer in a lot of regards compared to what Logan Bonner can do. But I don't know. If he was able to have success against this BYU defense, somebody's got to, right? Yeah. For the Aggies. And I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll tell you Bo Nix, uh, he passing-wise against BYU, uh, 13 for 18, 222 yards, um, with actually two touchdowns, and then rushing, here's where it's going to blow you away, three rushing touchdowns. His yards, you know, not amazing, 35, but his running back would do, you know, the majority of the gains, or it'd be a nice pass, and then they run a speed option or a read option, change it up a little bit, and he got in the end zone three times against the BYU defense. And, you know, Bo, Bo Nix is a great athlete. Uh, there's a reason he's, you know, playing for Oregon. But so is Cooper Lega, and you give him a chance, I think we could see some similar results. Like you said, that Andrew Peasley was able to do a little bit. Um, and we'll see. And like you said, it doesn't mean you can't use Logan Bonner. Um, yeah, maybe it doesn't get rid of the drop in eight when Logan Bonner does come in, but it does let you have some different scenarios, some different looks, and maybe tires out some of that defense in different ways. And so Utah State can get to their fourth-quarter advantage where 
they have such great conditioning that they outlast their opponent and what, that we saw last season. In the argument for Logan Bonner on Thursday night, he is the senior, has the experience, played against BYU last year. We still know, even though his interception rate this season is out of this world, right? Eight this season. Eight in four games. And one of those games against Alabama, he didn't play half of it even. Yeah. Right? And so that's... Well, he didn't get intercepted against Alabama. No, you're right. He didn't. So So in three games, he has eight interceptions, right? And five of them were last week, and two of those were a little bit weaselly because they were end of the half, end of the game, kind of lobs. But, I mean, there's still 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 numbers that count. Um, But he's the dude, he's the senior, and he's a guy that you know can take risks and at least make throws. And an argument for him on Thursday night is to beat BYU, you're going, they're going to have to take some of those shots downfield. And to Bonner's credit, we know that he is not afraid to do that. We thought, it, seen in the Alabama game, he was a little bit, but that was more Alabama's defense, and they were just completely outmatched in that game. But against the UNLV, he was launching that ball downfield, and so that's something that might have to happen. The argument to Pease, we already hashed that over plenty of times, but another little facet for Pease that I think is cool is he went to... Uh, he went to your high school, Jake Orem High School. No, Lagarde did. You're, you said, oh, sorry, excuse you said me. I'm, I'm, mix, yeah. I'm mixing up my yeah. <laughs> my white mobile quarterbacks that have played for Utah State. <laughs> my bad. Cooper Lagarde, a proud Orem Tiger. Well, I don't know if he's proud. I, I'm a proud Orem Tiger, and you should be proud. <laughs> well, he won some state rings. Old Town baby. So I, I, you know, I don't see why not. Um, but uh, yeah, he he was amazing. Dual threat quarterback uh, would often lead the team in rushing. Uh, they didn't have a great running back all the time uh, that he was there. Noah Sewell ended up coming later on, who, uh, of course, went to Oregon. He's actually a linebacker primarily, but he can run the ball. Um, regardless, uh, yeah, no, I think Cooper has what it takes. I don't think anyone's debated that. Blake Anderson hasn't debated that. It, it's like you said, it's a it's a mental thing, and it's it's uh, also, um, you know, Bonner's the one who won the Mountain West that, you know, we keep getting reminded of. So, also, I will say uh, one thing that may be overlooked a little bit since we went and played Alabama in uh, Bryant-Denny, um, but Lavelle Edwards is not an easy place to play, especially a rivalry game. 60, 65K, something like that. Um, a team or an environment that is getting praise from national media, you know, teams like Baylor and and I don't know who else they've hosted, but I've seen – multiple ESPN headlines of wow Lavelle Edwards is so loud so scary so we'll see uh, how that plays into it and that's where you might need some experience from Logan Bonner who has that experience in those environments and um, you know uh, is able to run the system in that kind of environment I I have a slight uh, dispute to the to the atmosphere thing that BYU's atmosphere has been getting a lot of cred and they've had a lot of big games night games it's been fun their student section can show out similar to how Utah State's can. My folks, they are BYU alumni. I've spent a lot of times down there in Provo at that stadium. Here's the thing about Lavelle Edwards Stadium. It's huge, but it, it's not steep. It, the seats are very far back. You feel very detached from the field, and there's four open corners, very open air. So the sound does not really get trapped in that much. And so it's a major benefit if the opposing team is in the south end zone, right where the student section is, that can be tough. But the other sections of the field... It's a it's a reactionary crowd. I've always, this is what I've always said about the, the Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Great atmosphere, right? They can really pack it in there. It's a reactionary crowd. If the team scores a touchdown, it can get really, really loud. And maybe certain third downs, they can create commotion. But for the most part, I think that their home field advantage is slightly overrated, which I don't, maybe that's going to get some stones thrown my way. <laughs> I think the best home field advantage in the state is Rice-Eccles Stadium at the University of Utah. Because really? they have – I've been – I've from Salt Lake City, right? I've been to several games at the U, never liked the U, always cheered against them whenever I went. But to their credit, the the student section is okay, and it's tight right on the sideline. It's steep, right? But then also, the rest of those guys, all the other Utah fans, they're not meek and quiet. They get into it, especially the north end zone at Utah. And so when you go to the U, when you're on the south side, you're in the student section, and it's really, really loud. You go to the north side, you get away from the student section, it's only, only louder because you have – a bunch of dudes from West Jordan and from Riverton that have been pre-gaming their tailgating scene for 10 straight hours, and this is what they live for. And they are just screaming their, 
their throats out, right? And so another sidebar, I think that that's the best atmosphere in the state. I don't think that Utah State needs to be worried about that. Last time Utah State was in Provo, Utah State took over that stadium. And obviously that won't happen unless a miracle happens. But BYU, the air went out of that place really, really quick. Darwin Thompson and Jordan Love, they really shut that place down. And the, the North End Zone, there were probably 5K Utah State fans there. And the, the classic Utah State, that chant got <laughs> caught on the broadcast. It was a really loud thing. And so, yes, any team that's winning and has a passionate fan base like BYU does, it'll get riled up when things are going good. But it takes a couple of plays, a couple of things, and the energy out of that place can burst like a bubble. So, yes, they've been, they've been prodded for, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't be concerned about the atmosphere as nearly as much as I am about those dudes wearing the stretch white helmets. All right. Yeah. Well, and I think when it comes down to it, atmosphere is atmosphere. Um, it's a mental thing, and uh, it's pretty easy to get past. Uh, we see big upsets in big stadiums all the time. You know, I, there wasn't there wasn't probably two thousand App State fans when they went to the Big House, and they're able to, to win there. You know, things like that. So, um, when Appalachian State when they beat Texas A and M, we were watching that game prior to the Weaver State game, right? And I have some Texas roots and cheer for A and M. Horns down, Giga Maggies, right? <laughs> And I was bummed. I was seeing uh, Appalachian State was going to win. I was very bummed. But then they showed in the crowd, they showed an Appalachian State fan, took off his shirt, and then dumped his popcorn bucket all over himself. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You guys, good for you guys. Like, this dude is way more happy than I could ever be sad about this result. So <laughs> have at it. Boone, Boone, North Carolina, just just go have some fun. Just get after that. And that's what they did. They were able to host game day and followed it with a Hail Mary. That's what college football is all about, and so just uh, yeah, that's what that's what we love—just atmospheres and people going crazy. And right, we might see some of that Thursday night, but also school night. You know, yeah. midterms are approaching. I don't know, BYU students—they always got school, right? Sure, <laughs> I, that's what I hear. <laughs> um, and then I want to jump into uh, quarterback Jaron Hall, uh, someone that the Aggies did not face last season. Um, Someone that is touted to possibly be the next uh, NFL QB out of BYU. I don't know how much I buy that, um, but they call it QBU, whatever whatever you want to go by. Um, he is averaging eight yards per pass attempt right now, has nine touchdowns on the season to just one interception, averaging a 158 efficiency rating if you're into analytics. Um, so what do you think of Jaron? I think Jaron is a pro's pro. I think the dude's a stud. Um, Zach Wilson was a quarterback before there, and he went to a neighboring high school in Miami, graduated the same class, and incredible talent. But he was uh, he, he was a dude that knew it, right? Cockiest dude in that locker room. And hey, he rallied around the team that COVID year when they won a lot of games. But I do know that a lot of people didn't take to Zach Wilson in a lot of, in ways off the field as they did just because he was such a great quarterback. Jaron Hall's the opposite. Not only is he an incredible decision maker passer runner but he's also an incredible teammate you saw that after the Baylor game when he's hugging their kicker Jake Oldroyd right after he missed two kicks and so that's something that credits Jaron Hall the dude he's been around for a while and he's had his opportunities he had his struggles lots of concussions he actually started the game against Utah State back in 2019 when they came up here and rolled the Aggies right and he got knocked out of the game with concussion that game but he's a dude that he just doesn't make mistakes right and so when we're mentioning turnovers Utah State they need to force turnovers turnovers this game it's uh that's a little disconcerting because Jaron Hall is not a dude that you're gonna pressure into throwing poor passes or making stupid decisions yeah and it it might be uh something BYU likes their running game um but they're switching it up a little bit they got Chris Brooks and they got Miles Davis Davis uh freshman had a big game against Wyoming. Yeah, a really nice game against Wyoming. I think 130 yards or so. And, um, you know, that's that may be, be the weak spot where you can attack a little bit more. A freshman running back? Maybe maybe so. Maybe loses the ball? I don't know. But we we will see. Uh, got a few more things to talk about. Uh, I don't know how, how much of a jersey guy you are, but we got the official confirmation from BYU. They're wearing royal, royal helmet, royal jersey, white pants. Uh, Utah State unofficial just yet, but... We've heard that Blake Anderson, uh, from a statesman writer, uh, Nate Dunn, he said, you know, Blake Anderson, he prefers to wear different colored helmets, uh, just his 
kind of parabola, parabola there. I don't know. That's probably not the right word, but <laughs> go ahead. that's quite the diction you're pulling out here. <laughs> um, and he, uh, so he projects will wear a white helmet, but with, uh, you know, white Jersey, maybe Navy pants. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I don't really care, but as I, <laughs> if I were, if I were Jake Ellis, I would say, bring out the pewter, baby. Yeah. Bring, bring out, out the pewter. pewter. Bring it, but I don't care that we lost to the golden flashes in it. <laughs> it's, it's been too long. Bring it back. I know I'm not alone. Um, you know, if I was saying bring out the black, you know, I'd be, uh, crucified, but we, I'm not saying that. So I don't know. You might look like your Tom Hanks <laughs> left alone with the, with the volleyball, with the, the, the pewter gang. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't I, think so. I think pewter Island is a lonely place. No, no, no. But these, I, these hey, new white jerseys. <laughs> when I tweet pewter, baby. I get likes. I get like seven likes. I, <laughs> so it's me and my homies. You know, it's a charitable <laughs> fan base. They see what you post. They they have mercy on you. They say, this poor kid doesn't know better. He likes the pewter. We, we got to like him. Just sure. We just got to like it to make him feel better about himself. Um, but the, the white jerseys are very clean, right? We, they open yeah. them with UConn. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was funny. The, that opening press conference the Monday morning with Blake Anderson against UConn. The first question I asked him, I asked the first <laughs> first did, question of the season. I don't know what was going through my mind. I was just hyped about the jerseys; they look clean. And I didn't ask about personnel, the depth chart that had dropped. I didn't ask about the opponent. I said, "Coach Anderson, what's up with these new jerseys? They're they're beautiful." Mm-hmm. We saw them, the one win against the season against UConn. Then they wore them against Bama, and they're going to break them out again against the Kooks. And well, I don't care if they got I, blue you, pants. You got to go all white. I think um, I've heard some people saying navy, but you got to go all white. Against the Cougars, I don't care that they're wearing white pants too. It's a, uh, you know, like we said, that's the only uniform combo you've won. And I don't know if you're suspicious or whatnot, but you know, stupid sisters. Bring bring it out, yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that Utah State did not lose in pewter in basketball last season. I, are you until, sure about that? Until the end of the season, I think. Yeah, they got they got rolled out yeah. of town in the NIT wearing pewter. So was that pewter? I yeah, there it was goes. The, okay, there sorry. goes your argument. All right, but hey, hey, let me just say before that though. Big upset against San Diego State in Pewter. Uh, a huge win over the Portland State Vikings. Very, very strong squad. Uh, was that the game that Max Shulga hit, like, the three-fourths quarter yeah, shot? Yeah, right, I don't know if y'all remember that, but it was it was a December game, so it wasn't very well attended. School was out of session. Max Shulga is dribbling up the court, and I think he wanted to bring a lob to somebody. And he throws it, well, probably 20 feet behind the half-court line, and it just goes in, just for a three-pointer. And that was, I was like, Max Schulga, you legend, right? So to your point, that was wearing pewter, so maybe there's some magic in it. I think there is. Um, you know, go ahead and de- disagree with me if you want to, or whatever, whatever you think. Um, I, You know, obviously it's not going to be an option right now. As far as I'm aware, I don't think there's any pewter in the closets at the moment. But. Uh, they're saving their pennies for uh, to get those brand-new Navy uniforms out. Yeah. Navy blue. That's fair. Next year. Well, let's see if we can get, a you know, an Aggie Unlimited donate, donation coming in and get some pewter on there you could you could call it even the jake ellis fund i'll, <laughs> I'll lead the charge for pewter i'll donate um yeah, I, I don't probably nothing i don't i don't have anything but anyway we got a, another basketball thing to throw in here towards the end nba media day on monday we saw bean merrill and Kata with their respective squads and uh what do you think of that so I try to be slightly unbiased in certain regards. But when it comes to former Aggies, especially guys when I was working at the student paper, those are my boys, cheering for them like crazy. To, so to see Media Day, see Sam Merrill and Namias Keta, two guys that really, watching them really inspire me to start writing and start getting in this industry. So I really, really like those guys, want them to succeed. Seeing them on the same team, even if it is, oh, the poor Sacramento Kings that can't <laughs> develop players, look past that. Seeing them matching Kings uniforms at Media Day t- together, that was uh, that was pretty dope. Yeah, it, it was. And adding on JB34 in that that nice new uh, Memphis font, uh, kind of looks like the Toronto Blue Jays font. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but yeah, no, no, Toronto. That's a terrible comparison. Uh, right, we're it? we're not a, we're not a Blue Jays radio show. We don't bring oh. them up. Oh yeah, I forgot Jose Bautista. He's a a sore spot for you. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's about all we wanted to talk about this week. Uh, of course, stick around on Aggie Radio 92.3 K Blue LP Logan. Of course, the BYU game will be broadcast at 6 p.m. You got something to say? Jake Ellis, right before we get out of here, can I put you on the spot? I guess. 
final score prediction oh, no. <laughs> for BYU Utah State to sneak on Thursday night at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Final score prediction. Let's hear it. I really, I don't, I don't know if I want to go on the spot here, man. Hey. You, you got to promise to do one too. Uh, it's, it's just live radio. It's no, no big deal. Let's <laughs> just throw it out there. The whole world's listening. Um, I think I, I'll throw my optimistic take out there. I don't really care if I'm wrong. So we'll go ahead and say what I think the Aggies need to put up to win. 45 points. So uh, 45-42 final in favor of the Aggies in the best-case scenario. Um, more realistically, perhaps, maybe, I don't know. I don't have my crystal ball, but maybe a 52-17 a to 17 final in favor of the Cougars. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what the offense can do. Obviously, we can just throw our predictions out, but uh, what's your prediction, Jacob? Well, you know, that's all the time we have no, for no, today. No, no, it's not. No, 7.59. We got, we got 30 seconds. Come on, throw it up. All right, all right. I, I just I don't see a scenario where Utah State can beat BYU. Just unfortunately, hurts my soul to say it. You know, I got the Cougars 34. I got Utah State 17. That's my final score prediction for Thursday night. Yeah. So that'll, uh, that'll wrap it up. That's our show. I'm Jacob Nielsen. This is Jake Ellis, sports content manager for the Utah State. So thank you for listening to the Aggie Sports Radio Show on Aggie Radio 92.3 KBLU LP Logan. Thank you very much.